Hello, I'm Marvin Fant, and this is Fantline, where we're not afraid to speak truth, and it doesn't matter if you're conservative or liberal, Democrat or Republican, because right always trumps over wrong. Enough said. Aside from my usual messages from a Christian perspective, I'm helping to bring to light the little known and little talked about experience of the black soldier in World War II. You'll get this from no documentary, past or present, and definitely not from school books from elementary to college. What you get is the horror, shame, and indignation, hate, and unbridled evil that most white Americans unleashed upon their fellow black Americans during a time of war that the entire world was embroiled in. But yet we were spat upon, berated, and called a no good nigger because we dared to have a uniform on. So <clears throat> here now in this series are excerpts from the book Forgotten. One evening in early June, 1941, Wilson Monk stopped by as usual to see his mother. Rosita was distressed. A telegram had arrived addressed to her youngest son. The contents were no surprise. Young men across New Jersey and the nation were being called up for military service. Wilson had registered for the draft the, pre the previous autumn. And shortly after President Roosevelt signed into law the Selective Training Service Act requiring able-bodied men from ages 21 to 35 to serve for at least one year. And at the time, military service carried little risk. The vast majority of Americans, which is 79% in the Gallup poll, wanted the country to stay out of the war in Europe. And isolationists in Congress were determined to keep it that way. Your boys are not going to be sent to any foreign war, Roosevelt repeatedly promised, though he was now adding, unless we are attacked. Concerns that America would be drawn into the conflagration multiplied with each German victory. Fears mounted, and later in June, when Adolf Hitler broke a non-aggression pact he had inked with Joseph Stalin and invaded the Soviet Union, Wilson Monk wasn't thinking about the possibility of being sent to a far off battlefield. To him, the draft meant, the draft notice meant only one thing, a steady paycheck. Even after Labor Day, the usual season of worry, he would be working. It meant that I would be making $30 a month. Imagine that. <laughs> and that was good money back then. On June 10th, his backpack, he promised Rosita and Martina that he would be home for Christmas. Martina kissed Wilson goodbye and wrapped him in a tight hug. None of them could know that six months later, a surprise Japanese attack in Hawaii would seal Wilson's service for the next four years. 
for now, <clears throat> joining the army, the only branch of the armed forces accepting Negroes, seemed like a grand seemed like a grand adventure with pay. Wilson Monk reported for duty at Fort Dix, which is in New Jersey, and joining 1.4 enlisted million. 1.4 million enlisted men nationwide, and 74,000 of them were black. One week later, he was sent on to Fort Eustace, Virginia, for basic training. Wilson's introduction to the South wasn't pleasant. Now, as a black man, he was accustomed to the small daily indignities that marked his interactions with white people. There were places where he couldn't eat or drink, shop, or shop, and he, or even window shop, and he wasn't allowed to peer or, and 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 beach, so to speak, and where he was barred from swimming. But that treatment seemed generous now, and nothing had prepared the soft-spoken young man for a life in the segregated army, or for a life in an even deeper South, which is home to most of the army's training camps. Black men were lynched there. In some places, they could be charged with rape if they were caught just looking at a white woman. And failing to step aside for a white man on a public sidewalk could land a black man on a prison chain gang or in a coal mine as a modern day slave. Now across the South, the mere presence of a black soldier was reviled. And many whites who looked upon their uniforms as a provocation uh, and a demand for acknowledgement in a world that was carefully constructed around the premise that white people were superior and colored people knew their place. <clears throat> it was a world where in 1941 social equality was, was as impossible to imagine as a schoolhouse where black children and white children were taught side by side. Life on an army base offered no insulation from the slings and arrows of prejudice. In fact, it was worse in some respects because many of the officers were white Southerners, expert at inflicting humiliation with a particularly vile racist tongue. Southern officers were the majority in the peacetime army and contributed to the racist attitudes that infused army ranks at every level. The generals in Washington believed early on that the best men to command Negro units were white men from the South, where three quarters of the country's black population lived. The U.S. Army was thoroughly Jim Crow with little contact between the races, except for the white officers put in charge of the Negro units. White and black enlisted men trained, dined, slept, and socialized with their own kind. There were separate clubs, clinics, and blood, blood banks. And New York recruit Charles Orette was stunned to learn that if the Negro sections in the two movie houses on base were full, black soldiers were forbidden to sit on the white side, even if there were empty seats. I never knew what discrimination meant until I went to Fort Eustis, he said. And then one Sunday, Wilson Monk and some friends went to Richmond and caught the last bus back to the base at 11 o'clock. As they settled in for the 80 mile ride, military police officers 
boarded the bus and told the black soldiers to get off and they stayed put. We wanted to know why, Wilson said. The MPs returned with local cops and this time the black soldiers compiled, excuse me, complied. And when they did, white soldiers took their seats and made it back to Fort Eustis on time. Wilson and his friends couldn't get another bus until Monday morning and they risked punishment for going AWOL and spent a long cold night seething in a Richmond bus station. <laughs> now, most Northern recruits like Monk had experienced a racial divide when they went South. What they hadn't counted on was the ball faced hostility that hit them head on at each turn in their journey as soldiers, even in their own camps. Wilson Monk quickly learned the new rules. Besides segregated movie houses, black barracks often were the farthest to reach. Equipment that was in short supply for everyone before the war began in earnest would remain that way for the black soldier. Negroes could buy candy and gum at the PX, the post exchange, but forget about lingering over a soda. One day in basic training as a black recruit grabbed the baton during a relay race, an officer from Georgia, an, an officer from Georgia said, look at that nigger run. Wilson had never heard that slur used so freely in his life as he did at the base. The insult slung and hardened into a patina of rage over time. These men expected better from their government. They expected better from a military that urged them to fight for democracy and the rights of white people living in faraway places. And as bad as it got at Fort Eustis, it wasn't the deep south for men like Wilson Monk. <clears throat> the worst was yet to come. All right. I know some of you will say, why? Why bring this up? That was so long ago. Why rehash or rather pull a, the band-aid off of open wounds? But see, that's the thing. It's a band-aid. These wounds have been covered for several decades. And it needs to be talked about. As I mentioned earlier, documentaries have been done, movies, so many movies, but they have never delved into what the black man had to go through. Even not just black man, but brown man too. And so much has been swept under the rug. You know, um, a few days ago, I, I told my wife I wished I would have spoke to her grandfather who was in World War II. I wish I would have spoken to my grandfather who was in World War II <clears throat> and had <clears throat> the unction of what I have now to ask them questions of the, the, the pain and suffering that they had to go through. But, but see, the thing is, 
I never knew how it was for them, how they had to live back then. You figure that having on a, a military uniform, it would bring respect and honor and dignity. But it was just the opposite. It was just the opposite. People, white people looked at them as if, how dare you? How dare you have that uniform on? And see, I never thought of it this way, but as mentioned, it was a, it was as a, a situation where if you had that uniform on, then that meant as a white man, I had to respect you. And back then they were just not having that. They were not giving respect. You had to respect them, but they didn't, you know, so much in a sense by law, they didn't have to respect you. <clears throat> so that's why I am so, so grateful for the, really for the sacrifice that my black forefathers gave. You know, we always hear about the sacrifices made, but they really, really had to sacrifice. And you'll find out so much more when you hear the rest of the excerpts in, in this series. So much more. The, the, just the vileness and hate that they had to go through and endure. So not just living and breathing and functioning as, as a civilian, but then you couple that with trying to live and function and breathe as a soldier. As a soldier. Oh man, it just, it just, it sickened me. You know, as, as I was, as I reading the book, it sickened me from what they had to go through. <laughs> I'm like, wow. Wow, 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 wow. And then I think about how after the, um, and during the Vietnam War, when soldiers of, any color came home, they were degraded, derided, insulted. Now these were done to the white soldiers, but, and then I thought about it, <clears throat> the black soldiers were getting this all along from the very beginning, even going back to World War II and, 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 and during the, the, the Revolutionary War excuse me, the, excuse me, the civil war, even going back that far, they were getting it like that from the beginning. <clears throat> I mean, this book is a total eye opener. So we're just getting started with this. And what I started out with today <laughs> pales in comparison 
to what you're about to hear the rest of the way. The little bit I, I spoke about just to start off, mm, 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 mm. you ain't heard nothing yet. You ain't heard nothing yet. Enough said. See you next time. Or you'll hear from me next time. Thank you for checking out Fantline. Until next time, keep Jesus first and be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Thank you.